You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Season's greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Systematic Ecology. As most of you know, we have been voyaging through the year of Lewis, covering things like the Narniad, some of his more theological works. We've talked about the Inklings, some of his inspirations, and this, the most wonderful time of the year, we are drawing the year of Lewis to a close. And what better way than to discuss what Christmas would look like in Narnia. For all of you What If fans, this one's for you. I am Joe, I am one of your hosts here, and I am joined by the one, the only, Josh, how we doing? Uh, you know, doing all right. Uh, my back hurts, but that is mostly from lack of sleep because, you know, I get home yes- late yesterday from work and thought I should go to bed. I then saw I haven't seen the newest episode of Tulsa King. And then, uh, you know, an hour later, there I was. <laughs> so, sometimes, sometimes it just be like that. Yeah. Um, Good show, though. Yeah, haven't seen it. So Christmas is one of those interesting things when it comes to talking about the Narniad, because obviously, and we've talked about this at length, that Narnia is is very allegorical in nature at most of the time now i will i will stand firmly on the hill that the narniad has more than just allegory in it the whole thing is not just one through and through allegory i know that there are some people who try to match every single book of the narniad with uh some aspect of the bible and the biblical story and that's not that's not even from that that's that's not just being uncharitable to the text but that's also being uncharitable to the author because that's not what he meant for it. so this conversation can get interesting because you know you don't have the same through lines that a lot of christians try to draw when trying to discuss uh, Christmas in Narnia. But for me, I think the first step to having this conversation is to understand that in Narnia, we're not going to have the same direct celebration of Jesus's birth or something along those lines. I think that's where the comparison needs to stop. But that does bring up a huge question, because why is Father Christmas there? <laughs> Because they see him in Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. But clearly, for them, Christmas can't be about Jesus's birth. And that's what makes this particular question interesting to me. So even though I'm not a big Narnia guy, I find this question fascinating. Yeah. And I think, you know, I thought about that, that we have Father Christmas. And, you know, so so there is a presence of Christmas, if you will. Um, but I think in this case, once you once you divorce away the the direct reason why Christians celebrate in the real world, you're left with this idea of giving 
and this idea of togetherness and this idea of warmth and family and all of those pieces that I think are way more pertinent than specifically a religious celebration when it comes to Christmas in Narnia. Yeah. And it, I might, I might be looking too much into the symbolism, but it's curious to me that father Christmas says that, you know, it's been winter there for so long and he hasn't been able to go. Part of the curse is that father Christmas couldn't go to Narnia, but now Aslan's coming. Now he can be there. So, so I, I find this piece interesting because trying to tie what you're talking to, about to this hope that Aslan is coming is the hope of Christmas a lot of times more than just the religious part, more than just baby Jesus. The hope of Christmas is family and warmth, <laughs> you know, you know, warmth both figuratively and literally sometimes. I'm sure if it's been winter as long as it has in Narnia, definitely a literal hope for warmth. Right. Yeah, I think the way the way that I see it is Lewis is directly commenting here on the very personal side of the holidays. Right. A lot of times when we talk about the holidays, there's common themes among people who have an issue with the holiday. Right. So let me tell a quick story if you guys will humor me for 30, 45 seconds. Uh, (laughs) I was a part of a group in college where we opened our doors to anybody who didn't have a place to go because there were a group of us that we didn't have family connections. We didn't have those those ties that bind, so to speak. And we knew that there were other people, be it people that were away from their families because it's college. Some people were had moved into the area from like New York or like the our tri-state area. And some people just simply didn't have a relationship with their family. And so we'd tend to go to a movie or we'd go out for Chinese food or something along those lines. Like usually, usually there was about 10 to 15 of us that would get together. And that that through line is that for one reason or another, there was not a connection on the familial side. And for a lot of people, it's complication there that causes a lot of the issues with Christmas. And so while the ultimate hope is in the in the in in Narnian terms is is an Asland and Aslan's return and and all of those things in that it's that's more of the Easter side of it, if you will. You know, there's a separation when talking about the the you know Father Christmas and everything that he brings. I think it's this idea that in the dead of winter, most people, except for people who are absolutely off their rocker, insane, don't like the dead of winter. General rule of thumb. Most people would rather it be spring mm-hmm. or summer, whatever. I digress. <laughs> so so I think the representation here is that it's it's pulling away the good part and, and a reason to come together and all of that to this cold, isolated experience where it's always winter and you notice how you see you tend to see a lot less busybodying around like a lot a lot less buzzing around especially for those of you in the city you notice 
that the the streets tend to be busier in the spring and summertime. And in the wintertime, bam, done. You don't see anybody. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was born in Florida. Well, I wasn't born in Florida. I was born in Tennessee. I grew up in Florida. So I am very much the warm weather kind of person. I don't like the cold. I if if it was not for Christmas, I would only visit my family during the summer. I'm not driving in what could possibly turn into ice or snowy roads or like any of that. Like it's it's nasty weather for driving. It's nasty weather to be outside. It's definitely awful for the beach, which is what I love. People who love the mountains, I guess, love winter. Sure. That's not me. I live in the mountains and that's a categorically false statement. Okay, good to know. So so even they don't like <laughs> the dead of winter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's these warm moments that exist. And I think the moments where you're feeling that emotional warmth are somehow made brighter by the cold. So, you know, Father Christmas giving presents to the kids in Narnia. It's a brighter moment because of how dark things are at that time. Yeah. Um, we're going to do, I think we're about to do an episode soon about the Christmas specials in Doctor Who with you mm -hmm. and Steph. And, you know, one of my favorite things is even though I love David Tennant, my favorite Christmas specials tend to be Matt Smith's ones, even though he's like my least favorite doctor. And one of them, he decides to stay for Christmas. The doctor finally decides to stay for Christmas. He spends it with Rory and Amy. Um, you know, whenever he does his farewell tour, he goes back and visits little baby Stormageddon. It's a deep cut. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's these, these, these moments of brightness that are brighter because of the darkness. And I think that's what's special about Christmas. And I think that's what's Really cool because because, you know, I know there's a lot of the book before you get to that part in Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, but it still feels like that's kind of the beginning of the journey. And that's a really cool way to start a series like Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. So we should on on the topic of um, uh, of the the earlier parts of the Narnia ad from Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, where most people will know any interaction between Christmas and um, Narnia, typically from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, because that's mm -hmm. the movie that most people have seen. That's the book that most people have read, yada, yada, yada. Um, so so Christmas is actually mentioned in, in the Narniad prior to the Pevensey children. So they were the Pevensey children are not the first humans in Narnia. There's uh, essentially a cabbie who is the first uh, king of of Narnia. Uh, he ends up in Narnia. Aslan makes he, he and his wife the the first king and queen of of Narnia, and he actually brings in the the tradition of Christmas, and it's essentially like a giant feast, a giant time of togetherness. And one of the first things that uh, that the White Witch outla uh, outlaws is that because she's trying to drive people away from each other. And and it, there's this interesting moment to take it to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where you hear from Father Christmas almost the heralding mm -hmm. of Aslan, if you will, because he's 
he's saying that, okay, the only reason why I can be here is because Jadis's power is weakening over Narnia hmm. because it's Jadis's power that keeps um, Father Christmas out of the land. And so in this case, it's almost like an interesting take at some of the earliest, I'll call them representations of mm-hmm. St. Nicholas that mm-hmm. we have in the real world, where it's less about a complete and total separation and more like, here's this guy. He, he, does, he, he does things for people, but ultimately he's pointing to something bigger than himself. Yeah. And I think that that if if we are fully functioning, so now let's 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 put our our what if hats back on for uh, for a minute. I really think that there would eventually become a tie in between Christmas and Aslan, because people would be looking to the heralding of Aslan through Christmas. So less about Aslan's birth necessarily, and more about. His coming. Yeah, almost like a almost like an interesting meld between what we have as um, the religious side of uh, Christmas and Easter. Huh. Fascinating. Is it okay if I backtrack a little bit? Because you said something that that really I might be I might be being too too spiritual today. I don't know. Uh, You were talking about the fact that the the witch, which I don't remember her name. Had Jadis. so she her power is what kept Father Christmas away and kept Christmas from happening, and it makes me think of basically there's this Christian attitude in you know at least some of my circles of the enemy doesn't have any power, you know it, it's sort of a he's just there and we he, the only power he has is because we believe he has power kind of stuff you know, and I find it interesting that in Narnia at least. She seems to have actual power. Right. And I'm wondering, does the enemy have actual power? Is there actual power behind stuff like, you know, I think the enemies of Christmas are usually actually capitalism, maybe some demonic stuff too. Is there actual power in the stuff or is it only have the power that we give it? So to to circle into... Narnia, yes. When have you seen the movie? Yeah, for Lion a long Lord time ago, a okay. very long time ago. There's a scene where there there's uh, dialogue between Jadis and Aslan, and Aslan says to Jadis when Jadis is telling telling him the rules um, why uh, Edmund's life is essentially forfeit to her. Um, she starts quoting what they call the deep magic and Uh, Aslan stops her and says, do not quote to me the deep magic. I was there when the deep magic was created where hmm. the, the symbolism being that we're talking about the divine. We're talking about the things that, that Aslan represents and all of that kind of stuff. But just because Aslan is ultimately the stronger creature does not mean that Jadis is completely powerless. She still wields magic. She still goes on essentially a murder spree 
you know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a scene in a it's it's Disneyfied, but essentially <laughs> she casts everybody in ice, and you see some of the figures of ice are smashed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So tying that back into the the spiritual side, you know, I think I think pieces like this are are powerful to remind us not only of ultimately the superior um power of the divine, but also you catch what catch what what happened to Edmund. I'll I'll use him as an example. She placated mm-hmm. to his ego. She placated to his greed. So while I think there's limitations, I think we I think sometimes we make a boogeyman out of everything. Mm-hmm. That that does not disqualify the fact that there there is, you know, there are demonic forces at work at uh, on 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 the regular that the bible says that out and out it just it just says yeah. that and but but it's not a matter of any time that we do something we are embodied by some kind of demon or some kind of be- bad spirit or something like that i think uh, my my spicy take i think <laughs> deliverance ministries are incredibly dangerous i think they are not theologically sound and I don't think that there's any biblical evidence to be able to say that you've got a demon of lust or you've got a spirit of of something and that's why you do a bad habit. No, I think we all have human nature and human nature is in, can be influenced by the demonic. Yes, there, yes, I do believe that there is such a thing as possession and all of that kind of stuff, but that's its own conversation that immediately ends the second mm-hmm. that you start talking about Christians. Yeah. Yeah. I was afraid I was going to have to be the Pentecostal and be like, I still think some people are possessed, but yeah, most of the time that's definitely more yeah. of a, no, you're, you're just, you did a bad thing. Stop trying to so, blame the devil. <laughs> so I'll, I'll throw this out there and you guys listening can, can let me know um, if you want to hear, more about this at another time but um i'm just gonna say you look you look hard enough and long enough for the thing that goes bump in the night i promise you you're gonna find the thing that goes bump in the night when i was before i became a christian and i was doing um paranormal investigating and occult stuff and all of that kind of stuff um uh, let me let me just tell you the things that go bump in the night are very real and it's one of those things that I I think one of the truest statements that can be made is that the greatest trick, the single greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was making people believe that he didn't exist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I um I have a <laughs> there's a lot you could say from uh the screw tape letters about that even, where yep. you know <laughs> it was screw tape makes these mentions of yeah no how we win people now isn't by creating another hitler or creating another terrible person it's by making them think evil isn't really real and that tends to be kind of a beat in that book and it's true um i want to go back to and i'm going to make some connections here something that you brought up the scene of um aslan and the white witch so jadis in the in the scene is basically 
trying to quote the deep magic at Aslan and he's like, I, I was there when it was made. It sounds like it's kind of getting at she's manipulating more or less the Bible for them is what I'm thinking of when I'm when I hear that that particular story. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of when you come to some of this Christmas stuff in, in you know, in our world of, well, you know, they're not really talking about baby Jesus. So it's not really Christmas. And, you, and it's like they think that they're manipulating the holiday and trying to take God out of it and that that's the dark magic. But I'd like to posit, much like in Narnia, which is why I think this is a good exercise, it's not about baby Jesus per se. Christmas can be and maybe should be about something more than just a baby who may or may not have been born in a feeding bin or something, you know? Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, and I and I, I shudder to think that there may be some who what I'm about to say is is groundbreaking um, in nature. But uh, the there's a lot about the Christmas story as it's played out, as it's as it's illustrated, as it's, you know, um, commercialized that that's not. Like there, mm-hmm. there were, there have been a lot of liberties, even with like church plays and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of liberties have been taken and December 25th is not the day that Jesus was actually born. Um, I don't remember. I think it's, I think the current thought process is spring, um, yeah. spring or summer, but, and, and there's a lot, there's a lot of historical things with calendars and dates and yada, 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 that, that goes into all of that side of it. Yeah. Don't even but, get me started on the Wiseman. Right, right. Don't <laughs> even get me started on the Wiseman. Exactly. But you have this date that some people choose to celebrate the birth of the king on this day. Cool. If that's, if, if that's what you do. I don't necessarily think that there's an issue with that, but mm-hmm. where it becomes a bridge too far is where you go so far down the rabbit hole of celebrating the birth of the savior that you almost divorce baby Jesus from Jesus on the cross. And, and you try to separate those, two, the, the, those two things out and Christmas becomes something that it ultimately isn't. Mm-hmm. Which might mean thinking of it more in what we're assuming the Narnia way would be of thinking of it as a day to celebrate the coming of Aslan, the coming of Jesus, rather than thinking of the birth. And I know that that sounds like it's more of a linguistic kind of argument, but but I think it's a better focus. I think too often we're focusing on these objects of the story. You know, I've heard too many sermons of well, you know, the wise men weren't actually there. They were here or too many sermons of, well, this is how many shepherds there were. Or, well, in the East, they would have thought this because of Daniel. Those are all important things to think about and talk about. But I feel like we get too bogged down with the details and we forget the celebration isn't about the birth. It isn't about Mary. Uh, you know, I, some Catholic believers might disagree with me, but I, that's what I believe. I don't believe it's about any of these people. I don't believe it's about the birthing process, the place any of that, you know, I think it is about the fact that there is hope coming, that the world is in this dark, dark place, and the savior of the universe stepped into flesh and came. And in the Narnia version, Aslan stepped into their world 
and he came. And that's what's important. Yep. There's a, um, there's a, I've got a, a yearly tradition that actually started with SG last year um, of my yearly Christmas sermon. And this year, the movie that I'm drawing from is the Santa Claus. And nice. by the time it, it will have, it will have happened by the time that you guys are hearing this. Um, and part of, part of what I, I seek to drive home is this idea that there is, you know, is, is the North pole and Santa Claus and elves and yada, yada, yada. Is it all, is all that real? No, no, not, that's wait not a minute. Not, what? I, I should have, I, sh- I really should have prefaced that with like, spoiler warning. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a parental <laughs> advisory warning. Um, when, when you take it out of the context of just celebrating the birth and just like, oh, I can't, it, magic, Christmas can't have, it can't be magical because Santa Claus isn't real. Well, why in the wide world of sports not? Why mm. not? Because we're talking about, catch this, let's not lose the rabbit here. As Christians, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the creator of everything, sending his son to earth. That is what we are celebrating, to save our sins. That's that's wonder. That should stop you dead in your tracks in awestruck wonder. And, and to put that into Narnian terms, you're talking about this, this prolonged oppression from the White Witch and celebrating the fact that Aslan stepped into the picture and saved everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I used to actually think it was really weird that we celebrated the birth. I'm like, why, why not just make Easter a bigger deal, right? Because that's actually mm-hmm. the moment we're saved. That's actually the part that matters. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to use Narnia terms for this. But when you think about it, it is actually more than that. It is actually more than he died and paid the price for us. You know, there should be more celebrations, which is why, you know, I've started attending more more liturgical church. And I really appreciate the different seasons that we celebrate in the church calendar, because it is important to recognize he chose to step into this world. It's important to realize that he chose to walk among us and live like one of us, suffered all the things that we will have to suffer. It's important that he died and rose again. It's important that like, like all of the parts are important and I think it's worth celebrating more than once a year. So in that sense, I, yeah, Easter should be a bigger deal. Or maybe for um, Narnians, it would be, uh, what, what, what would it be? Stone Day? <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Stone Day. But that doesn't day. mean you don't celebrate the fact that hope came. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's marrying those worlds of celebrating the fact that hope came and having that opportunity to cultivate community and togetherness and all of that kind of stuff. It's that there's so, there's so much beauty in that depiction that I think is, is a prime lesson that we as real world Christians can should be be taking notes from because you know yeah i understand that there's a lot of different 
aspects of this that sit, that don't sit well with people because this, that, and the other reason. Like I, I understand that that Christmas is one of those divisive conversations. But if we can get past, okay, ready? Was 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 Christmas pagan? No. Okay, there we go. There's the end of that conversation. If you need to go look at go look it up, there's tons, literally tons of material about it. So, okay, not pagan. Cool. Jesus not born in the manger. Cool. Done. We've covered those those things. Now, what do we do with December 25th? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's that's something that I think that mentality it would seem like to me comes with more of an approach of the intimacy and relationship with God. You can box this thing up. You can sell this thing. I can, I am, I am a talented marketer and a talented salesman. If I wanted Mm -hmm. to, I could sell you guys any pen. I, it's, I could, I could sell you guys on, on whatever, but that's not, if, if we, if we stop trying to box it up and we take it into what is everyday life, then suddenly a day to come together as a community, as family, to be able to come together and share a meal and enjoy each other's company and and a day to celebrate and all of those kinds of things, that suddenly becomes a lot more palatable and a lot less like all of the stressful stuff that centers around Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Is it okay if I take it away from a serious note for a second now? Yeah. Because uh, one thing I, I was wondering before we you know finish this up or anything, we know there's a huge chunk of time after Stone Table Day or whatever, before the final battle, let's give it 10, 20 years after Aslan came, the White Witch was defeated the first time. What does their Christmas look like? You know what I mean? Like, what does it actually look like in Narnia after it's given some time? For them to, you know, get used to it, I guess. I don't know. Create traditions. Uh, I think one of the one of the biggest things would be a um, a I think one of the biggest aspects of it would be a large community gathering. I think it would be mm-hmm. everybody coming together and sharing a meal and spending time corporately together. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I think that the 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 castle that the uh, that Peter and them end up in, it's definitely really well adorned. That's probably where they're all getting together. I, I think I find it interesting to think of the uh, like the talking animals and the centaurs and all of that participating in Christmas because you know a lot of them, especially because you've seen the movie. You know, I, I'm just envisioning them as almost always looking battle ready. <laughs> and think of them in like a like a Christmas sweater or something. I'm like, man, that'd be that would just be funny. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what you would see out of the Christmas traditions would be more time quality time driven among the creatures and among the people. Yeah, especially since even in the later books, Narnia never feels like it's been industrialized. Right. At least not to me. So I yeah, I, I feel and, and yeah, I sound like such a like a anti-capitalist whatever, but I'm like I feel like without some of all of the stuff, Christmas also necess- almost necessarily becomes more communal. What what else are you going to do? <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I I agree. I think um, there's I think there's a purity to the way that it's written where while, while there's not the same kind of direct statements made in Narnia as somebody like Tolkien has in mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, I do think that it, it it is not an accident that this is a land that is less technologically advanced and more of a an older way of life, I guess is a good way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Also, a little bit of a separate thought, um, which, you know, shout out to Will. I think he'll love this idea. Given the importance of their interaction with Father Christmas, I'd also be willing to bet that Narnia as a kingdom recognizes St. Nicholas Day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's I always wonder that. <laughs> if that would be what would, what they would call it, like is St. Nicholas Day. And yeah. that it would be like a heralding of like the coming of Aslan and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And the story would be how they heard that Aslan was coming from Father Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I that'd almost be, wonder if kind of fun. that would make, I almost wonder if that would put uh, St. Nicholas as almost like a John the Baptist sort of figure in, in Narnia where, you know, we have John the Baptist as the herald for Jesus you know, I think it would have to. I think yeah. it would have to. I mean, that's just a—it's just a funny concept, though, that Father Christmas actually fathered Christmas to Narnia. Then, yeah, weird. Yeah, they take the—they take the that—that <laughs> that would be a literal, um, <laughs> a, a literal uh, title. That's uh, fantastic. I, <laughs> that is now my head canon. I don't think there's anything in Narnia books that can say that that's incorrect. So I'm just going to assume that that's true. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's there's nothing, in, and there are other there are other attempts at this. I want to shout him out, even though he uh, <laughs> left me on red. Um, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Into the Wardrobe that just hmm. recently did a did a, uh, a an episode on Christmas in Narnia, and they he goes into how in in Narnian terms there's a difference between Santa and Father Christmas that it's not the same fig it's not the same figure yada 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 but um yeah there are there are other interpretations of this because Narnia the Narniad is largely quiet outside of a couple of a couple of pieces it's not really something that's overly discussed or or relied upon as a as a story beat and and more serves as a tool for telling Aslan's story rather than a specific plot device for for Narnia. Man, how cool would it be if we all treated Christmas that way? Wouldn't that be something? If Man, that's how awesome. we treated Christmas. Uh also, while we're shouting out other things, I am going to be on my seminary life talking about the character Father Christmas a little bit more in detail of why does he exist in this? So, yeah, we focus more on the holiday here, which, yeah, so if you want a fuller picture, maybe check that out. We'll get both sides of this. Yeah, check out, uh, you can find the link down in the episode description for My Seminary Life. You can find that where you listen to podcasts. Um, Really solid show. I'm really excited to hear hear what you two... um, come up with over there. So anything else before we head into the wrap up? I, 
which I feel this way, way most Christmases, right? There's this kind of sad joy um, where you're kind of a, a little sad to see it go. You know, for me, I'm a little sad that it's winter as well, but it's like it, it comes and goes too quickly. You know, I, I just saw my family for Christmas in Kentucky, and I felt like as soon as I got there, it was time to leave. And I was like, man, it was so great to see them. And I'm filled with so much joy that I got to see them. But I'm also a little sad to know that I had to leave. And looking at this being the end of our year of Lewis, man, it was a blast. I'm so glad we got to do it. But I'm also I'm a little sad to kind of see it come to an end. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it has been an absolute blast getting a chance to talk about all of these different aspects of of Lewis and his work in the Narniad and talk about the intersection of faith and fandom and all of these different things throughout the year and getting a chance to sit across from the, the variety of, of different people that I've done these episodes with. And mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's been a cool experience that in the, the back nine of the year of Lewis, it's been you and I doing a lot of these episodes and because we, we process the world differently. We process Mm -hmm. Lewis differently. We process the, his, his works differently and, (laughs) and what stands out to us and all of those things. But when you have different people that process these things differently it can show the through line and continuity of what is significant to the person through like regardless you know what i mean like that's something yeah. that to me is so resonant when you talk about these kinds of things and you know yeah i i too am i too am sad to see it go a little bit but if there's anything that you guys can take away from the year of lewis it's to be unafraid to explore your favorite works deeper. Now, mind you, not everything is going to be as on the nose as some of Lewis's work. But mm-hmm. as we talk about here, there's nothing wrong with exploring things deeper, even if it's asking the questions that the that the work at, uh, poses or, or something like that, where there's this, there's this, these deeper meanings and we can't be afraid to touch on those deeper meanings and those deeper points. And just commenting on our year of Lewis as a whole, we kept seeing these reflections of truth. You talked about so much. So there is a t-shirt in the store reflections of truth has a reflection of our symbol is kind of cool. And I also have to say, do not fret. This does not mean we will never speak of Lewis again. I simply can't help myself. And we're starting our next annual theme origins talking about the origin of Narnia and Middle Earth. So, yeah, we're we're not leaving Lewis forever. So, don't don't think that's what's happening here. Yeah, no, just we're going to it's time to move onward and upward and continue talking about new and exciting things. But for now, as we draw the year of Lewis to a close, we say a couple of quick beats Happy holidays. We hope you enjoyed. Um, You can go back if you are catching only part and you want to go back and listen to some of the previous episodes that we've done covering the Narniad and various other works 
and topics throughout the year of Lewis, you can head on over to systematicecology.org and find our full backlog of episodes there. And I'll, I'll put in the show notes a link that'll have a playlist to every single episode in the year of Lewis, just all conveniently there together. So if you just want to binge them, you can do it. Wonderful, wonderful. And for those of you that are unaware, along the way, we've also been doing uh, some Patreon-only content. And you can find that over at patreon.com slash systematicgeekology. There are tons of perks over there, bonus materials for you guys. We really believe strongly in providing value for those of you that help us keep the lights on. But for now, we want you guys to remember one very important thing. We are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.